I'm sure by now everybody listening to this has seen the footage of the damage caused by the tornadoes that hit East Nashville. I mean, it's just heartbreaking is the only way I can describe it. It just is heartbreaking. You know, in that neighborhood around there, I have so many friends, people who have been on this show live right there. And uh, that's where Amy and I would walk our dog, Russell, every day, right through there where the tornado hit. But needless to say, it, it registered with me quite intensely. But when I saw the pictures of the basement east, my heart sank, you know, I just feel it in my gut. Just a few hours before, a bunch of friends of mine were playing on that stage just a few hours before the tornadoes hit. And it was a benefit for Bernie Sanders. And if I was there, I would have played that gig, high probability. You know, but the pictures were just terrible. The, and I have a little bit of history with the folks who opened that up, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. When you guys see the pictures on TV, I wanted you to know a little bit about the people who opened up the basement east. Really, really good people. Mike Grimes, Grimy. My first memory of Grimy was when he was touring with Bear Jr. He played in Indianapolis. I remember saw him at a place called Birdies. Uh, he played at a place called Zanies too. They also played at a place called the Stone Mug in Indianapolis. And uh, so I had, I remembered him being that guy in that band. I did a gig almost 15 years ago at the basement. And man, they treated me so well. Just really, really nice people. Really good people. And uh, Jeff Donovan was co-owner then. And Doyle, who's always been a uh, partner with Mike Grimes. They just treated me really well. It was a great little venue. And then a little while later, I did a one-month residency at the basement. And I played, I think, every Tuesday or every Thursday. I forget. But um, you know, they treated me so well that it made me think of Nashville differently. But, man, there's some real people and some very nice people who... Uh, care about things that I care about in Nashville. That's that's a good thing to learn. Years later, I remember Dave and Mike telling me that they were going to open up this venue on the east side and call it the Basement East. And I'm one of these guys that doesn't like to take a lot of risks, so I'm thinking to myself, man, this is a lot. This is a lot to undertake. You know, but they did it. And uh, they gave me a little walkthrough before the place opened. Just a wonderful venue, a large venue, and they were able to fill it. I want you guys to know when you see those pic pictures of uh, the basement east and wreckage, you know, from the tornado, it was built by people who wanted to bring something interesting to their community, to their city, to their neighborhood. People who believed in their neighborhood and went out of their way to do the hard work to make that a reality. And I have so much respect. I know that uh, I know that Grimey listens to this show. I've been told that, and uh, I think Dave does too. And I apologize, guys. I know I'm probably embarrassing you. I apologize if you're hearing this and it's making you feel weird. But I just want you guys to know that I love you. Your community loves you. Your community needs you. And I have zero doubts that the Basement East will rise again.
Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in Indianapolis, Indiana. You heard that right, more on that later. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. Everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. It's been a little while since we talked, so I figured we should probably catch up a little bit. Like I mentioned earlier, we'd recently moved back to Indianapolis, Indiana. We came back home. I wanted to take a little time today to talk about that, let you guys know my frame of mind. I'm going to fly solo today, and I'm going to tell you some stories surrounding our decision-making process and around the move. But the most important thing is I can't tell you how happy I am to be back home again in Indiana. This is gonna go a few different directions before we finally get to where we need to be. So please stay with me and I think you'll enjoy the trip along the way. But our story begins about 25 years ago in Lucas, Kansas, a little bitty town. I was there to see the Garden of Eden. Maybe back in the 1920s or 30, a guy named A.P. Dinsmore was some little bit crazy guy, decided he would make these concrete statues depicting scenes from the Bible all around his house. It's an amazing thing to see. Beautiful bit of roadside America, folk art, one of my favorite places. But we went to this town, and uh, there's also a folk art museum there. And we're looking at it, me and my buddy Todd, and we look down the street, and there's a house for sale. And it's a rather large Victorian house, and it was pretty beautiful. It wasn't in perfect shape, but it wasn't in terrible shape either. I was just kind of curious. I wonder what it would cost to buy a house here in Lucas, Kansas. This is in the middle of nowhere. We're about 40 minutes off of Interstate 70, about north of it, probably three hours west of Kansas City, and that's probably the closest airport too. It might be four hours west. I'm not sure. But I get to checking, and I find out this beautiful old Victorian home, beautiful home, cost $12,000 to buy, and it had been for sale for almost a year, and no one had bought it. And I just could not believe that. I just... uh I couldn't believe you could buy something that beautiful, that cheap. That planted a seed in me. As the years went by, I kind of became addicted to looking at real estate in small towns across America. So when I'm on tour, I would always try to pick up a newspaper and just see the real estate listings and see what you could buy close by. And sometimes there'd just be amazing houses for not that much money. So this went on for years. Somewhere along the line, it planted the seed in my head. What if I could talk some friends of mine into moving to one of these small towns? Like if we could get three or four little groups of families, you know, or individuals to go buy houses in a small town and you already have your circle of friends and you live there, 
most of the people I was talking to were musicians, and I started referring to this idea as forming an alt-country retirement community. And I've talked about this for 20 years, and I went back and forth. Uh, I had Brian Henneman talked into it at one time where we talked about moving to some small Midwestern town somewhere. It's one of those things we talk about. Everybody loves the idea. Nobody actually does it. But um, it's been something in my head forever, and it's one of my favorite little things to talk about at parties. And sometimes it's hard to get me to shut up about such things. But that's the birth of it. We fast forward about 13 years ago. Amy and I were talking about moving to Nashville. I want to say right up front, I never wanted to leave Indiana, you know, but I did understand maybe it was the right time to try something else. But I've always felt guilty about leaving Indiana and um, didn't want to. And Amy encouraged me to to try to to find more things out there. But I was sitting on a bar stool in Bastrop, Texas, outside of Austin. I was just asking the bartender, are there ghost towns in Texas I might be able to go visit sometime? And a guy sitting down at the end of the bar said, well, there's a town for sale. I said, really, a town for sale? And um, he starts telling me about it, and I get interested, so I look up the listing and the information. It was called McMahon, Texas. It was southeast of Austin, northeast of San Antonio, probably an equal distance from both. But it's out kind of in the middle of nowhere. As the town died, someone bought every building as it died. So it was all owned by one particular person who I think was just trying to keep the town from crumbling into dust. And none of the buildings were being used for anything. I went out and looked at it. And it was a bit of a fixer-upper model. You know, it was probably five or seven buildings in the town, but you get the whole town. I start thinking about it, and uh, it turns out they were asking, I believe it was $200,000, and it had been for sale for a couple of years. I started thinking, man, I'd like to maybe own my own town. I could set up a speed trap and have a boss hog type situation, live off of the revenue, I've always wanted to open up a roadside attraction. I could make this entire town based on being a roadside attraction of some sort. Had a lot of ideas. One of the ideas was I would form my own cult and I could be a cult leader. That would be a good thing. You know, how bad could that go? And then I also thought I wanted to build a statue right in the center of this town, a 30-foot, 40-foot statue as big as I possibly could, of Harry Dean Stanton, and we would worship him as the one true savior. This was, this was my idea. And uh, I thought about it, and it started making sense. I thought, man, this could be a really fun thing. Imagine the T-shirts you could sell of your Harry Dean Stanton statue. and Imagine the weirdos that we could attract to come out and do something interesting in this town. Maybe this town could even be an alt-country retirement community. So I thought about it for a little bit, and I called Amy that night. And I told her the idea. I was expecting her to talk me down and tell me I was crazy because I was. But uh, as I told her about it, she says, that makes perfect sense. Let's do it. And something about her calling my bluff on it and actually wanting to do it kind of scared me. And I didn't do it. I kind of 
saw myself with a hammer in my hand for the next three or four years trying to fix the place up, and I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do. So we didn't buy that town, and we ended up moving to Nashville instead. Well, fast forward less than a year later, we moved to Nashville. I won't go through all of that story again. That was covered in episode 122 way back when. I'm sure a lot of you heard that. If not, go listen to that and you'll learn about that harrowing day. But um, we lived in Nashville for 12 years. You know, tw- bought a house, lived there, had a small house. We really loved it as home. It's Mount Renraw. I recorded most of the episodes of this show right there in the living room. You know, so many people came over to my living room. So about nine years ago, the New York Times was doing this series on real estate. Each week, they would show you a real estate listing somewhere in America to show you what you could get for $300,000. So they would show you one in New York, and it would be a closet somewhere, just some tiny thing. They would show you something in Boston. It's the same sort of deal. They'd show you something in San Francisco, you know, but then they would mix around middle America. And one of the listings that they showed was a house in New Harmony, Indiana for $280,000, I believe. And it was unbelievably beautiful. It was a three-story, probably 150-year-old mansion And if you don't know anything about New Harmony, Indiana, you really should Google it and look. It is a beautiful, beautiful, tiny town. It was founded as a socialist utopia, you know, 150 years ago or so. It has a beautiful downtown of beautiful buildings, you know, beautiful houses. It's right on the Wabash River. It's in the southwest corner of Indiana. I can't say enough how beautiful the place is has a population of around 800 people, and it's isolated. You have to go drive about 20, 25 miles into Evansville to go to the grocery store. But this town of 800 people has three coffee shops that are actually doing all right. So it's an interesting town, and I encourage you to take a day trip there if you ever want to have a little fun vacation away. But Amy and I are looking at this house, and we just can't believe that you could live like this, that cheap in this beautiful town. The house sold, and we kind of dropped it, but it it really made us start thinking about moving away from Nashville. So about two years ago, that same house in New Harmony, Indiana, came up for sale again. So Amy and I thought really, really hard about it, and we decided we would go look at that house. And we went and looked at it. It's just beautiful. Remember the day we looked at it, it was a Saturday, and we got some bicycles that we rented from somebody locally, and we rode it through the town. Five o'clock on a Saturday, there's nobody there. It's just like Mayberry. It was so quiet, so peaceful. You know, we just started thinking we really ought to do this. And by the time we got home the next day, it had sold. Someone else had bought the house but we were already mentally on our way to leaving Nashville. A little bit of backstory on me. You guys know I'm super guarded about my personal life. I don't like to talk about personal things. 
But after years of you guys, you know, listening to this show with me, you've learned a lot of things about me. You pick up clues. I was raised, you know, we really did not have much. We were very, uh, from we were poor, I guess, by some standards and uh, by American standards, we were poor. And then we were lucky enough to move up into middle class later on in my childhood. But my parents never owned a house. And I never, ever thought that it would be possible for me to own a house. I just didn't think of it. I lived in 16 different houses by the time I turned 18. And um, it was mainly because we'd get evicted. You know, we couldn't make rent. I remember seeing the light bill go out, you know, through childhood. It's just one of those things you get used to. I, I can't relate to people who don't know what it's like to worry about keeping the lights on choosing between food and the heat bill and things like that. So I've had that in my life. And uh, so there's a baseline. So the idea that we would ever have been able to buy a house in Indianapolis and then sell it and then buy a house in Nashville was just kind of crazy. And then later in life to think that we could live in some nice big old Victorian house somewhere, you know, that became a possibility, but I never foresaw it. Just as a little bit of backstory about me there, I wanted to throw that in. So when we bought our house in Nashville, you know, it was a small, small house. It was a one-bedroom house with a beautiful backyard and on top of a hill. It's Mount Renraw. It's my my home there. And um, it was what we could afford. We wished... We could have gotten a house with a spare bedroom, but we just couldn't afford it if we wanted to move into East Nashville then. And it got even more expensive as the years went by. We always thought that this would be a temporary place for us, and we'd just buy another place in Nashville that was bigger in a few years. As the prices went up, that just wasn't a reality. And there was a moment when we just kind of realized that anything that we wanted to get that was just a little bit bigger than our house would be a half a million dollars, which is just crazy. You know, just crazy as a guy who grew up the way I did, that just seemed crazy to me. And I, you know, and I've said before, I'm pretty cheap. I'm frugal. You have to be, if you're going to stay in this game for any amount of time, you know, in the arts, I believe, or you have to be born into a certain amount of wealth that didn't happen. We liked, we really liked our neighbors. We liked our neighborhood and all that. But somewhere along the line, it started changing. People started buying houses all through our neighborhood, knocking them down, and then building these very flimsy but tall, locally they'd call them tall skinnies. I thought they were pretty ugly houses that they started building them all around us. At one time, they bought the house right next to us. They knocked it down and put up two doubles that were huge and took up the whole property. Now, when I first moved in, me and my buddy Chet O'Keefe built a privacy fence around the backyard. I still appreciate that, Chet, if you're out there somewhere. So I could walk out in my backyard in the middle of the day and take a piss and nobody would ever know. A lot of you who grew up in rural areas, you know the joy of walking out and taking a piss off your back porch and uh, nobody seeing you. That's a quality of life thing, we'll say. After this was built, now there's all of these windows that just tower looking down into our backyard. 
And it never, ever felt the same after that. We lived for six years at least with that, you know, walking outside and you can see your neighbors looking out their window down into your backyard. And we had constant, I mean, year round, every single day of the year, constant noise from construction of people tearing down houses and building houses like these is a constant in East Nashville, definitely in our neighborhood. We grew to understand the sound of a house being knocked down. It's a crazy thing, but you know exactly what it is after you've heard it once. But sometimes we'd hear two or three houses a day just come crumbling down and it would feel like a miniature earthquake, even though it would happen half a mile away. So I have bad hearing, so I don't always hear things around me. I don't hear the construction traffic and things like that. I've uh, lost a lot of hearing, but Amy hears everything. I'm a firm believer in better living through hearing loss. And I tell her sometimes we need to go to some rock shows and she needs to stand up in front of some marshals and uh, she won't be hearing that stuff around the neighborhood anymore. But she doesn't see the humor in that that I do. And after a while, you just want to have a little bit more peace and quiet. So that's what we tried to find. When I started this show, one of the big motivating factors for me was I wanted to make something that felt personal, something intimate, and most importantly, I wanted to put something positive out into the universe. I wanted to share things that I like things that bring me pleasure that I find important. You know, it it was important to me to not throw more negativity out into the world. There's so much of it and it sells. That's the really, really bad part is it sells. And I didn't want to do that. So having said that, I don't want to just start trashing things that I don't like about Nashville because I just think that's bullshit. It's not, uh, you know, any town is something different to everybody. There's things I don't like. There's things that I absolutely love. And I've tried to share those things with you guys. I've joked in the past about making an episode where I air my grievances. (laughs) And it would probably be the most popular episode because that's the way life works. But uh, maybe call it Otis's Unpopular Opinions. And uh, if I could do that with humor, I would probably consider doing it. But, you know, man, there's so much negativity in the world and... That's not what this show's about. Over the last year when we were in Nashville, I started driving up to Indiana, and my buddy Clark, who was a godsend, has been such a good friend through all this. He acted as my real estate agent, and I looked at houses all over the state, and he was nice enough to meet me in Madison, Indiana a few times, and and uh, look at houses there. We talked about buying there. We were looking for houses in Greencastle. One of the big parts of wanting to move back was Amy's uh, mom and dad are elderly and are in assisted living homes, and uh, she wanted to be closer to them to help, you know, help take care of them. And that's been a huge part of us wanting to move back. It's understandable. But we looked at so many different places, and um. I should say Amy was driving the small town movement mainly because she wanted to live somewhere where she hadn't lived before. 
and that's understandable. And I kept trying to talk her into moving to Indianapolis. It's because I feel the connection. It's my, it's where I'm from. On one of my trips up to Indiana, uh, some folks from local government found out that I was in town and wanted to meet with me. They met with me, and they were so nice to me. They were so nice. And uh, I had meetings afterwards. And it was such a weird thing to be embraced by this city. Back in the day, you know, the local government was the one that was trying to shut down your all-ages show. It was the one who was trying to do whatever they could to get kids like me to go to work at the factory and stop this art thing. But here, years later, a lot of those kids that, you know, I saw in mosh pits back when or at the art gallery openings, you know, at all these different all-ages shows and things like that, a lot of those people are in local government now. And they see the value of the arts and they see the value of music. And having them embrace that and try to nurture it in the younger people in Indianapolis is just really inspiring to me. And and frankly, I want to be part of it. I didn't have that. And I can only imagine what my childhood could have been like if those things were encouraged and nurtured instead of uh, you know demonized. After a while, it just became obvious we need to go back home. So I guess to cut to the chase, we finally found a house in a neighborhood in Indianapolis. And Amy loved it. I loved it. And we went ahead and we bought it. And we moved up here. And I remember the day that we moved... Everything went smooth and easy. If you've listened to episode 122, you know what a contrast that is. When we left Indianapolis originally, when we walked out of the house for the last time, it was so hard. It was emotional. It was just a gut punch. I'd lived there for eight years. Amy and I had owned the house. It was just really, really hard to close the door the last time. And then in Nashville, we lived in that house for 12 years. You know, that's the longest I'd ever lived anywhere in any one place. And when we left, it just wasn't that hard. It really didn't feel the same. It wasn't uh, like I expected it to be, but it just wasn't like that. We moved up here, got moved in, and everything's been great. You know, I've been going back and forth to Nashville for a couple projects. One of them is I recorded a new album and uh, that'll be out this summer and I'll tell you more about it in future episodes. And uh, there's another project I've been doing a lot of work on that I don't know if I can talk about publicly yet, so I won't, but you guys will be very, very interested in that. So I've been going back and forth to Nashville. So, you know, I got to see a lot of my friends. I really do miss my friends in Nashville. You know, my poker night, I really miss over at Andy Reese's house and I miss being around Mangler every day, but I keep in touch with him and I'm still, still seeing them, but it's great to be here. We bought a house in a historic neighborhood. The neighborhood was originally a town outside of Indianapolis that was founded by abolitionists. Frederick Douglass has walked down my street. Mother Jones has walked down my street and has given speeches just a couple blocks over in front of large crowds on on the 4th of July way back when. 
Sojourner Truth, you know, has uh, walked down my street. And uh, there's just so much really nice history. There's a, it's a historically protected area. So I can't tear down my house and build some other structure without getting permission from, you know, my neighbors, which is nice. Because it's a very, very quiet neighborhood with huge trees everywhere. And uh, it's going to stay that way. I'm not going to have to put up with people tearing down the house next to me and building a tall skinny. So that's nice. I still can't walk outside and piss off my back porch in the broad daylight. But as Amy tries to explain to me, maybe that's not such a bad thing. But as far as this show, you know, it's going to continue on. I've been very, very busy over the last few months and haven't been able to deal with new episodes. And you guys have been cool about that. I appreciate it very much. But that does not mean that this thing's coming to an end at all. I, I'm going to try to put up a couple episodes and then it'll be a little bit more downtime. And then towards midsummer, I think that uh, I'll be able to go back to a more regular schedule and maybe somewhere in the future, we'll talk about ways to ensure that that keeps happening. I still have dreams of an alt country retirement community. You know, that's does not mean those dreams are dead. Maybe my alt country retirement community has been with me all along. Maybe Indianapolis is that it's a beautiful city. It's a very affordable place to live. You can get beautiful houses for not that much money. It's not as cheap as Lucas, Kansas, but uh, you could get a lot for your dollar, and you can live a very happy, fulfilled life. There's a lot of very creative, talented people here, and we could always stand to have a few more. So if you're out there and you're thinking about relocating, you know maybe you could become my neighbor. Maybe you want to be on the opposite side of town, but you'd still like Indianapolis. My neighborhood is, it's, like I said, it's a beautiful neighborhood. We have, uh, it's a lot like Five Points in East Nashville, except for I think this is nicer. It's older. It's very working class. It's, uh, I'm within a couple blocks of walking to bars and restaurants. I can walk to all of these things. It's a lot like Five Points in Nashville. People will actually go to dinner without issuing a press release about it. Where you can sit across from somebody at the bar and they're not talking about their brand. So little things like that make for a much happier Otis. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and I'd like to send out love and respect to my friends in East Nashville. I know you're hurting and I can't wait for us all to have better days. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. 
Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.